had the privilege of heading down to Ponte Vedra, Florida, this past uh, Friday to see the TPC golf tournament. I know that some of you uh, have also had that opportunity, and you took it this week, whether it be the practice round or the actual tournament. And as we were there, I always find myself amazed at uh, the athleticism of golfers. And they are indeed athletes. You may snicker at that, but when you see them ap- 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 up close, um, indeed, these men uh, work hard. These ladies uh, work hard at their game. And I always uh, am amazed at the trust that, um, at, Steve, you told me patrons, if you're at the Masters, but the audience would put into uh, the golfers as you walk up close to where the golfers are swinging, and you can tell I don't do a lot of golfing, so I'm not down with the lingo, all right? Um, But the trust that they show in these professional golfers. But someone takes it a step further. It's the guy with the camera. So if you're at home watching today and there's that up-close shot, it's coming from guys like these. Can we show that picture? This gentleman uh, in the red hat uh, is filming. That is Patrick Reed right there. In case you're wondering, that's Tiger Woods standing by four. And I can't remember the other golfer's name, but that's because he's standing beside Tiger Woods. And so Patrick Reed is getting ready, uh, of course, to hit this ball. And as soon as he hits it, it's going to be coming off at about 175 miles per hour. And so if we think of David slinging a rock and hitting Goliath, then boom, he was dead. Think about if Patrick Reed were to just be off a little bit and hit this guy in the red hat, uh, that would be all uh, she wrote. And so he is showing a great trust in this professional golfer. It's, been, it's happened again and again and again. But I'm, I'm hoping this doesn't happen. But one day, somebody's going to make a mistake uh, at, at close range, and it's going to be costly. But then I got to thinking, I'm the one who took this picture, and I'm just as close (laughs) as this guy in the red hat. And so, could happen to any of us. But as I thought about this, as we were standing there, I really did. I thought about this Sunday's message, and you go, do you really, I mean, do you just sit here and think about the passage all week long? You carry it with you all week long. To any of you who come and stand and preach before you, they'll tell you, um, you carry the scriptures with you, you're always thinking upon it. And as I'm standing there, I'm going, What about the woman at the well? How close did she get? In whose way did she get in? And we're going to see it in the passage today that she had been married five times before and that the man she was currently with was not her husband. And I see her just like this man right here. She had gotten really close, but these guys... were not as accurate. In fact, she had been hit time and time and time again. And yet, <laughs> she kept going right back. And so Jesus comes and stands in her way. That's where we are in the passage today. Christ, our eternal fountain. John 4 1 through 15. This will be the first part. We'll come back in a couple of weeks and cover the second part. So read with me. Christ our eternal fountain, starting in verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. 
Now, point number one, if you're taking notes, Christ, our eternal fountain, confronts sinners. He confronts sinners. Jesus departed again for Galilee. The last time he was in Galilee, he took water and turned it into wine, the best wine, plentiful wine that would never run dry at that wedding banquet. Now, in John chapter 4, he's going to reveal another miracle, the everlasting fountain. And this setting will not actually happen in Galilee before Because before he gets to Galilee, he stops in Samaria. Samaria was located directly south of Galilee, if you're looking at it on the map. And although they were close in relationship to distance, they were far apart in relationship to acceptance to one another. Let me read you this background. The bitter disgust between the Jews and Samaritans was longstanding, centuries old. In 721 B.C., the Assyrians swept through Israel, the northern kingdom, and took the inhabitants off to Assyria. During their years in Assyria, many Jews intermarried with the Assyrians and the Kuthites. Now fast forward to over 130 years later to 587 B.C., where Babylon took the people of the southern kingdom, that being Judah, captive into Babylon. But in Babylon, there were no intermarriages. And when the Jews came back to their homes, they were of unadulterated Jewish blood. They remained pure Jews. As a result, they refused to accept their northern kinsmen. And both sides developed an implacable, murderous hatred for each other. They despised one another. In fact, Jewish rabbis would say this, let no man eat the bread of the Kuthites, referring to the Samaritans. For he who eats their bread is as he who eats swine's flesh. For those younger in the room, swine, pig, pig's flesh, pig's feet. In fact, a popular prayer in those days said, and Lord, do not remember the Samaritans in the rejection. In the rese- <laughs> well, that was rejection. Lord, do not remember the Samaritans in the resurrection. Now, I've found it hard to maybe sometimes pray sincerely for people, but never have I prayed this prayer <laughs> for anybody. This just shows the disdain that they had towards one another. Lord, when the resurrection comes, forget about them. They're not worth it. These are the Samaritans. This is Samaria, and this is the Samaria into which Jesus enters. Jesus, as a Jew, enters into Samaria, and he had to pass through Samaria. There was no option for him. Due to the physical location of Samaria, he had to go that way, or he could have taken an alternate route like most devoted Jews, and gone around Samaria. Spent a few extra days, a few extra time getting around it so that they would not step their feet upon that land. Jesus knew of the alternate route, but there was no alternative plan in place. Not at this time. Instead, an internal plan, an eternal plan, had been set before the foundations of the world. God's sovereign 
plan, his will of salvation, not only for the Jews, but for the Samaritans and for the whole world, different people groups. So Jesus came to do the will of his father. He had to pass through Samaria because there was someone there he had to meet. And it was this woman that we're about to read of. But before we get there, let me just make this point. I think we all need to capture this today, that Jesus did not back away from confrontation. He didn't back away from confrontation. Yes, he came to give his blood. He willingly laid down his life. But Jesus was not a wimp. He was not a wimpy savior. He came to confront sinners because if he didn't come confront sinners, no sinner would ever be saved. And so for us in the room, are we afraid to confront sinners? Are we afraid to offend the sinner in his place or her place where she is in life right now? Because as Christians, we are called to go and confront sin, confront sinners. Find that common place. Find where they are. What are they going through in life? Where can we meet them? And where can we present Christ through testimony, through the Word of God, through prayer, through encouragement? You see, if we're afraid to confront sinners, then what hope does a sinner have in being saved? You see, Jesus is not afraid of confrontation. Now, some of you in the room, you love confrontation. You eat confrontation for breakfast. You're like, give me a moment where I can confront somebody and I will do it. And we say, easy, tiger, all right? Just do it with grace. Do it with love. But see, there are different cultures, but they're all dealing with the same issues. It all revolves around sin. So Jesus comes into this culture, and he's about to confront her in her sin. But what love, what kindness that Jesus goes, I, would, I can't go intermingle among these people. He didn't come with that hatred. He came with a great love for this woman, a pure love, a love that she had never experienced before. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, I need this true love because I've experienced all different types of quote-unquote love, and it's left me dry. Experience the love of Jesus, and you'll never run dry. Point number two, Christ, our eternal fountain, ministers through fatigue. He ministers through fatigue. Verses 5 through 8. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And so Jesus was wearied. He said, was he really tired? Yes, that's what wearied means. It means labor, fatigued. It means to be worn out. And Jesus leans against the well. You see, Jesus can sympathize with the tired laborer because he did not exempt himself from fatigue. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, I'm tired. It's been a long week. I've been working hard in the name of Jesus Work was tough this week. In the home, it was tough this week. Jesus understands where you are in your fatigue. But our fatigue does not always mean it's time to stop. The son did not request a superhuman body. Instead, 
He was born with an earthly body just like ours. And he, above anyone else, knew how to make use of the human body for the greatest heavenly good. Here are a few examples of his humanness when it comes to his body and what he needed as a human being as Christ came to live in the flesh. Matthew 4.2, Jesus was hungry because he had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. But yet in this hunger, what did we see? We saw something greater. That coming out of this wilderness, we saw that he is the better Adam. He did what the first Adam could not do in a lush, green, fruitful garden. He went into the wilderness where it was barren and no food, and yet came out the better Adam. Matthew 8, 24, Jesus slept in a storm. The ferocious waves which terrified the disciples were rocking him to sleep. He wasn't intimidated by that which he created, but because he created it, when they woke him up, he says, peace be still, and the waters were calm. John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept. That's the actual verse. That's all there is to it. And you're probably saying, hey, when's that scripture memory passage coming along this year? Jesus wept. But as he wept, from there, there was also a resurrection of Lazarus. You see that he truly was broken because of death, because what sin in the garden had produced. And he cried. He felt the emotions that we feel. And yet he also was thirsty. John 19, 28, Jesus was thirsty on the cross. But as he was nailed to the cross and he did work on the cross by giving his life, there is the atonement, the only way in which we can be saved and brought to a right relationship with God the Father. So every time we see the humanness of Christ Jesus, we also see his sovereignty. We also see his deity. We see his power at work. There were times when Jesus was fatigued. Many times that he was fatigued, but that did not signify for him that it was a stopping point. Isn't that good that he was fatigued as he was going to the cross? He was beaten. He was bloodied. He was spat upon. He was embarrassed. And yet he continued forward. No one has faced greater fatigue than Christ Jesus, and he did not stop just because he was tired. Now you may say, Brian, are you saying that it's not important for us to rest? I'm not saying that at all. I'm I'm saying it's important for us to rest. It's important for us to take good vacations. It's important for us to take sabbaticals when they are made available. Yes, we need rest. We're all human. (laughs) We need rest. There are times for that, but there are other times that we need to push through the fatigue. There are other times when we are tired and we want to stop and we need to keep pushing through. And yet Jesus shows us a beautiful picture here because here comes a woman at the well and Jesus doesn't say, man, I'm tired. I don't have time for this. You know, I've ministered to a lot of people. No, he ramps it up right here for this woman. You see, a ministering heart carries on when it is at the edge of its capacity. I appreciate that from Kent Hughes. A ministering heart carries on when it is at the edge of its capacity. 
You've heard this when you work out. Many times we don't push our body as far as it can go. All of a sudden we start feeling a pain in our side and we go, it's, it's time to quit. I'm, I'm, I can't go any further. But we never, uh, or, or, or times uh, in our lives, we may not push through that pain to see that it gets better as we keep going. And same thing spiritually. Things may get hard, we may get tired, and we never push through that moment. We can't see what else may come. In the Bible, we hear phrases like press on, not grow weary of doing good, run with endurance the race set before us. We need to keep pushing forward because our greatest rest and recreation will be ours in heaven. So fatigue is not always a faithful indicator that we must stop. In our weariness, we can continue forward, pressing on towards faithful ministry. I appreciate this song, uh, Hide Away in the Love of Jesus. I'm just going to read the first stanza of it. Come, weary saints, though tired and weak, hide away in the love of Jesus. Your strength will return by his quiet streams. Hide away in the love of Jesus. If you're here today and you're tired, I encourage you, hide away in the love of Jesus. But it's the love that Jesus has that he continues to press forward in this moment as we see in this passage. And it was about the sixth hour, meaning in Jewish time, it was noon and it was hot and it was dry. What a good setting for us, a good physical description, weary, dry, to describe this woman coming to the well, weary and parched in soul in need of refreshment. Romans 5, 8, even while we were yet sinners, Christ came. What did he come to do? He came to die for us. Even while we were parched, dry, in sin. And yet this is the picture we see of this woman coming to the well in the middle of the day, dry, parched, spiritually dead. This sixth hour may also reveal to us that the woman wanted to come when no one else was around. It made sense to go in the morning time when it was cooler, if you're going to be carrying things back. But yet she comes right in the middle of the day so nobody else will be hanging out so that she doesn't have to intermingle with anyone else. As we've already said, and we'll read again next week, that she has had five husbands, and the man she's with right now is not currently her husband. She has shame. She has guilt. She doesn't want to be around a lot of people. So not only is she dry, she's bitterly dry. Maybe you're here today, and not only are you dry, but you're bitterly dry. Who are you bitter at? Are you bitter at God? Because circumstances in life right now aren't working out as you want them to. You say, I don't, I don't know if it's God, but maybe I'm bitter at my spouse. You'd be sitting side by side right now and you're bitter at one another. Maybe you're bitter towards your kids. Because you would say, honestly, in your heart right now, they've just been a great inconvenience to your plans. Maybe you're bitter with someone at work. Maybe you're bitter with another follower of Christ in this room because they've offended you or you've offended them. We all go through these bitterly dry seasons of life 
And this woman here, she's bitterly dry. She's been to the reservoirs of relationships again and again, only to be greatly disappointed and left desperately dry. Is that you? You're here, you've been to the reservoir of relationships, one relationship after another, and yet you leave desperately dry. You can relate to this woman. In fact, all of us in this room, we relate to this woman. We are this woman in this scenario. So she may have come during this time so that she would be the only one at the well, but the big picture reveals that this was God's providential prompting for an eternal, life-changing appointment with Jesus. I love this. I love that we can see this in the Word. Oh, she thinks it's one reason why she's going, but God has a greater reason. So a woman of Samaria came to draw water. So what do we see here? Jesus is crossing the barriers. It was not common. It was not politically correct for a man to meet a woman at the well, especially if they're not married. And also for a Jew and a Samaritan to hang out at this well. Jesus crosses the barrier because Jesus did not care that she was a Samaritan woman. He saw her as a sinful woman who needed saving. That's how he saw her. We must see as Jesus sees. We must cross over the barriers, whatever they may be, and we must find the commonplace. Sinners in need of rescue. Told Pastor Will this week, as I was reading through some of his notes, he, he preached on this last year, and one of the things he highlighted in that was the, the commonplace. Where can we find the commonplace with the people that God has put us around? Our neighbors, our family members. We need to find the commonplace. Those who have been raised differently than us. We cannot be afraid. Hear this clearly. We cannot be afraid to go into conversation with others who are raised different from us. We must go into other cultures. We must go into other places. We must go across the world. We have a group from here who last week was standing before us that presently right now is in Beirut, Lebanon, in a different culture, trying to find that commonplace. Why? Because even over there, yes, they are desperately dry and need to be filled. I love that Jesus does not just see her as a woman. He does not see the color of her skin. He does not see her background, her culture, that historically they shouldn't have any contact. He comes and tears these barriers down by how we as the church need to tear barriers down. And that may make you feel uncomfortable in the room, but that's our calling. All nations, all people. So that we understand this clearly, we are not citizens of the United States before we are citizens of God's kingdom. Amen? Good, we're awake. We're good. We are citizens of God's kingdom first. And I can tell you, God's kingdom is not just going to look like a bunch of people that look like you. Isn't that good? Because this gospel is not just for 21st century. It's for all time, for people of all time. And Jesus comes at this time for this woman. 
and he's breaking down these barriers. I love, again, what Kent Hughes faithfully points out. He says, everyone we meet will live eternally, either as a glorious being or as a dreadfully lost soul. That's every person. Coaching Little League Baseball this week, I'm so excited. We're the Cubs. Five and six-year-old, non-competitive, just turned into competitive league. I didn't, I wasn't responsible for that. I'm so excited. I'm so excited for these boys and girls. And I tell you, it, we've been practicing, and it's the most beautiful picture. This is the most beautiful picture. We've, we've had dads and moms who have come onto the field to help. Uh, you, you should have seen Lizzie Sanders, one of our members. She was catcher this past week and, and, and throwing the ball back every time after the kids would swing and miss, and yet she was there faithfully. It was it's just so neat to see parents coming along and aside and it makes you look and you go, okay, God, why, why have you brought us together? It's more than just playing ball. What's the common place here? Where can I share the gospel? Where can I love people in the name of Jesus? What are you doing right now with your life? What are you doing with your days? Why are you in those places? Are those places honoring to God? Many of you right now are coaching ball teams. You're helping to coach ball teams. This is the perfect place for ministry to be Christians before we're coaches. To point him to Jesus, yes, compete, teach him the game, but more than anything, teach him Jesus. Why has God put us in these places? So we can point them to Jesus. And Jesus comes and he meets this woman in a common area, the well. He's tearing down the barriers. And he says to her, Give me a drink. Why would Jesus ask for this? Because he was thirsty. Some things are just plain and simple before us right here. He was thirsty. But his request is not meant for his physical thirst more than it is her spiritual thirst. Her spiritual thirst. Number three, God, our eternal fountain, shows infinite patience. Verse nine, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and, when, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. If we're paying attention here in the scriptures, we look back to when Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. And here this woman comes in contact with Jesus in the middle of the day, but both of them ask the same question. Their very response is, how? How? Very first word that we see of Nicodemus, how? How must I be born again? And for her, how? How could you do this? The, the well is, is too deep. But Jesus came to answer the how for this woman, and as a follower of Christ in this present world, we are here to answer the how for our lost family members friends, co-workers, acquaintances, and the random person we come in contact with. 
which may seem like random appointments to us, but they are planned by our sovereign Father. This is no random appointment. This has been planned before the foundations of the earth. And she says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. But yet, this is a reflection of what we've already read in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. This is the hope that this woman can have. Jesus is tearing down the wall of hostility. She's trying to hold it together. This does not make her comfortable. When we confront sinners, they're not going to be comfortable with that. There should be a discomfort with the confrontation. Why? Because it's revealing something that's not natural for them. But naturally, this is all the Samaritan woman knows to do. Build up barriers. Thankfully, the hope is not found in the Samaritan woman, but in the sovereign Savior. This is our confidence. This is our trust. When we confront sinners in their sin, it's not that their confidence is in us or that we put our confidence in them. We're putting it in the sovereign Savior. This is what he says. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You see, she was unaware that she was the real one in need of water. It wasn't him. It was her. She needed the water. Many people could come and draw from Jacob's well, but only one had the authority to deliver living water. That is Jesus. Even the place in which they're uh, currently standing, Sychar, means purchased. Purchased, and when we hear purchased, we think of a gift. And he's speaking of a gift. You want to know the greatest gift is that I'm going to give my life for you. And when I give my life for you, all that dryness in you will be filled with grace, with love, with forgiveness. All of this that you've tried to find in others and could never find, I will fill it in you. That's what we see. You see, this gift cost us nothing, but it cost him everything. It cost him everything. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? This is where we see his infinite patience. Instead of saying, Woman, do you not know who I am? Do you not know the power I possess? No, he doesn't approach her that way. He shows patience. And for us, as we confront the sinner, we cannot be inconvenienced by their answers. We must not be put off by their answers of what they do not know. We're there to present the truth. There's a reason why they have responses that may offend us, things that we may hear where they don't show respect to the Savior because they don't truly know what the Savior has done. They don't know him. That's why we're going to them. And here we see the blindness of the sinner. She says the well is too deep. Oh, it's too deep. You're limited. You can't possibly. No way. This reveals to us once again what a lost person does not know. The depth of Jacob's well is incredibly shallow compared to the infinite depth of God's love. Basically, he's saying, I've come down to you 
I've come down to you, and I can reach any depth. If I've come to you, any depth. I'm not limited. So the question she asks is, where do you get that living water? That sounds good. If I could drink from this living water and somehow, wow, that will uh, quench my thirst forever. I want it. Yes, she doesn't fully understand yet, but she's challenging in him. She's challenging him here in this question. Where do you get that living water? Which leads to this. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? We see this all throughout scripture. Follow with me up on the screen. Genesis 18, 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will, shall have a son. Oh, you're up in your 90s? Sure you can have a kid, because I say so. Nothing's too hard for me. You may think it's impossible for you, but this is going to be wonderful. Why? Because nothing is too hard for me. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, oh, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Luke eighteen twenty-seven. But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Oh, dear woman. Yeah, you may think it's impossible, but it is possible. Jesus was also the only one who had the ability to provide living water. Just as Jacob's well was powerless to quench her eternal thirst, so we are powerless to stand in the place of the Savior. We do not save people. We are powerless to save, but yet we point them to the one and only who can save. So then she asked this question. I mean, not only where do you get that living water, but are you greater than our Jacob? Our Jacob. Oh, she clings to Jacob. Are you greater than him? Uh, yeah, we'd say so just a little bit. Because Jacob elected, or let me get this right. Don't want to get that wrong. Jesus elected Jacob. Jesus elected Jacob. Where? Before the foundations of the world. Jesus created Jacob. Jesus came down to Jacob. Jesus rescued Jacob. Jesus provided the land for Jacob. The well in which the land's at, because of Jesus. The physical well was there not because of Jacob, but because of Jesus. The well was not about Jacob. The well was about Jesus the whole time. How many times has she been to this well and never realized that the well was really about Jesus? That this would be the place where her eyes would be open, her heart melted to receive the grace of God and to be saved this well, which she thought was Jacob's well, is really the well of Jesus. Isaiah 12, 3, we see it prophesied, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So notice that Jesus shows infinite patience, and we too must show infinite patience with those who do not realize this the well of Jesus which saves he shows infinite patience, and understand, neither did we believe without his infinite patience. If you're here today and you say, well, it didn't take me that long to figure everything out, it's pretty clear that Jesus is the Savior. No, he was infinitely patient with you too. We need his infinite patience. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises 
or his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's patient. Why? So that there could be repentance. May we be patient with others as we present the everlasting waters of Jesus Christ to them. Number four, last one. Christ, our eternal fountain, will never run dry. This in itself, these three verses could be five or six sermons. And so I'm going to summarize it right here for you in just a few little points. Starting in verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Understand this, they'll be thirsty again. He's talking about Jacob's well, that physical well. You drink of this, you're going to be thirsty again. You're going to be coming back tomorrow, and the next day, uh, whenever you run out of water, you're going to be back again. But for her personally, what Jesus is signifying to her and showing her is not just the physical water, but he's talking about her life. He's saying you will keep going from husband to husband, hoping that your thirst will be quenched by some man who can fulfill it all. We see this with people who are healed, but maybe drug abuse or alcohol abuse, sexual immorality, addicted to spending money, and yet they say, I'm healed now, and yet not long after they fall even harder back into it. That's a sad picture. For her, he's saying, keep going from man to man, and this man that you're with is going to be just like the other five, whether these men are the ones who crushed her or she's the one who crushed them. We're not really let into that. But we understand that they could never fulfill her, her greatest need, which is Christ Jesus. And eternally, so many who live around us, so many who live before us, those who will live after us, this will be true of so many who do not place their faith and trust in Christ. Every lost soul will thirst forever in hell. A forever thirst that will never be quenched. The greatest thirst that they've ever possessed will be for all eternity and will never be quenched. May we be mindful of this as we go to work this week, as we go to school this week, as we intermingle with people this week. But he says, hey, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What do we see with this? We see a great eternal security within these eternal waters. This fresh eternal spring of water is to be enjoyed every day by the Christian. Eternal life is not something put on the hold until when you die. Eternal life is to be received now, to be enjoyed every day. Every day you are drawing water. It is bubbling over in your life, never to run dry. What does this eternal fountain do for us? It strengthens our walk. It enlightens our minds. And it softens our hearts daily. So if you're here right now and you have a heart that is hard as a rock, Drink from the eternal water, from the eternal well. May your heart be softened. May your mind be enlightened. May your walk be strengthened. And then verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She doesn't have a full understanding, but Jesus doesn't turn her away because of it. 
But she says, hey, I know I'm thirsty. I know I have needs. She doesn't know her greatest need yet. Jesus still doesn't turn away. This response is a response we see in so many others. They know they have a need for something greater, but they have no idea how great it really is or how much they greatly need it. That doesn't mean we give up on them. That doesn't mean we stop. We present to them the living waters of Christ Jesus again and again and again. Because physical water can never cure a spiritual drought. Jesus did not come just to meet temporary needs. He came to meet the eternal need that all of us have. He came to meet, heal, and restore her spiritually. The spiritual bareness of souls. So once you drink from the everlasting well, you will never thirst again. You say, oh, well, I've trusted in Christ, and yet I still have challenges. Yes, you will. You'll have great challenges. You'll have great fatigue. But in the midst of that fatigue, you will not thirst. You will already be filled with Christ. He will not leave you. He will forever be your supply. Did you catch that? The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That water just doesn't shut off because you don't perform. It's always there to receive from. Her mind was incapable of rising to an understanding of what Jesus was offering her. She needed grace to intervene. She needed the refreshment of the glorious gospel of Christ to fill her. And here's the good news. He did. He did. And this is our trust as we present the gospel to others that His sovereign grace will intervene and that they too will be nourished forever from the eternal well. If you're here today and you're empty, you're desperately dry. Look to Christ, our everlasting, eternal fountain, and be filled today. You say, how, how, how can I? Okay, give me these waters. What do I do? Confess your sin before him. Confess that you have sinned, that you've offended a holy God, and ask him to forgive you. Forgive me of my sin. And where's the forgiveness found? At the cross. Put your faith and trust in the cross. I believe what Christ did on the cross was for me, Save me, Lord Jesus. Today, will you be saved? Please, today, will you not get distracted in this moment if you are lost in your sins? Nothing else matters at this moment than for you to look to Jesus. Are you sure you're walking with Christ? Are you sure you're receiving from the eternal fountain? Are you most sure of that? If there's any doubt in you, if there's any doubt, look to Jesus. We're here for you. Don't let time pass away. We're here. Let us deal with this. We'll be standing right here up front in just a moment. You can come talk to us here. If you say, ah, that makes me a little uncomfortable, check on that card. I want to know more about following Christ, but will you at least do that? We care about you. We want you to drink from this eternal well. And for you who say, yes, I am indeed a follower of Christ, but I found myself going to other reservoirs, other places to receive nourishment. Will you repent of that today? And be healed so that you can drink from Christ Jesus. He is good. He is here for you. Let us pray. Father, thank you. Christ Jesus is our eternal fountain. May all our trust be in his blood.
As Christians, Lord, forgive us where we attempt to drink of other waters that lead us to be thirsty again and again. And may we trust in the eternal fountain that never runs dry. May this bring us confidence today, or restore our great hope in Christ, spur us on in the faith. We need to be refreshed today. Father, I ask that you would work in our hearts for the unbeliever here today. Father, I pray that their mind has not shifted to anything else right now but their lostness and their need for you, for your love. Save them, Father. In this moment, in this place, in this time, save them. May they drink from Christ. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.